Part Five, Chapter Five of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Five. Boris had not succeeded in making a match with any of the rich Petersburg heiresses, and he had gone to Moscow with the same object in view. There he found himself undecided between two of the wealthiest girls in town, Julie and the Princess Maria. Although the Princess Maria, in spite of her plain features, seemed to him more attractive than Julie Karagina, there were difficulties in the way of paying his addresses to Bolkonsky's daughter. At his last meeting with her, on the old prince's name-day, she had replied to all his tentative remarks on the subject of the feelings so at haphazard that it was evident that she had not heard what he said. Julie, on the other hand, received his attentions only too gladly, though in a way peculiar to herself alone. Julie was twenty-seven. After the death of her brother she had become very rich. She was now very far from being a beauty, but she had conceived the idea that not only was she as pretty but far more captivating than she had ever been before. In this illusion she was sustained by the facts that, in the first place, she had become a very rich maiden, and, in the second place, as she grew older and older, men found her less dangerous, and were able to gather round her with more freedom, since they felt that they were not incurring any obligations in taking advantages of the suppers, receptions, and jolly society in general that frequented her house. Men who ten years before would have thought a second time about going every day to a house where there was a young girl of seventeen, lest they should compromise her and get entangled themselves, now unhesitatingly appeared there daily, and treated her not as a marriageable damsel, but as an acquaintance, irrespective of sex. The Karagans, that winter, entertained more pleasantly and hospitably than anyone else in Moscow. Besides the formal receptions and state dinners, they every day entertained a numerous society, especially of men, who ate supper at midnight and broke up at three o'clock in the morning. Nor was Julie willing to miss a ball, an entertainment, or a new play at the theatre. Her toilettes were always in the height of the fashion. But, nevertheless, Julie pretended to be disenchanted with all life. She told everybody that she had no belief in friendship or in love, or in any of the pleasures of this world, and hoped for peace only yonder. She affected the tone of a maiden who has endured great disappointment, of one, for instance, who had been disappointed in the man she loved, or cruelly deceived in him. Although nothing of the sort had ever happened to her, it began to be thought that such was the case, and she herself came to believe that her sufferings in life had been grievous. This melancholia did not stand in the way of her enjoying herself, or prevent the young men who came to her house from having a delightful time there. Every guest who went there paid his tribute to his hostess's melancholic mood, and then fell to talking about the things of this world, and dancing, and intellectual games, and the capping of verses, or borim, which were greatly in vogue at the Kerrigans. Some few of the young men, Boris among them, took a deeper interest in Julie's melancholy moods, and with these young men she had longer and more confidential conversations about the vanity of all things terrestrial, and she showed them her albums, filled with gloomy drawings, apothems, and couplets. Julie treated Boris with a special favor. She mourned with him over his lost illusions. She offered him those consolations of friendship which she was so well able to offer, having herself suffered so much in life. She also showed him her album. Boris made a sketch of two trees with the legend, O solitary trees, your dark boughs scatter down upon me gloom and melancholy. On another page he drew a picture of a tomb and wrote, 
tis death that gives us succour death that gives us peace alas tis then alone that earthly sorrows cease julie declared that couplet to be charming there's something so ravishing in the smile of melancholy said she to boris quoting word for word a passage from a book she was reading tis a ray of light falling in darkness a shadow's difference between sorrow and despair affording the hope of coming consolation whereupon boris wrote for her these lines oh poisoned ailment of souls too sensitive thou that alone doth make it sweet for me to live mild melancholy come thy consolation bring the torments of my gloomy solitude o oh, calm mingle thy secret soothing balm with tears that never cease to spring julie played on her harp for boris her most melancholy nocturnes boris read aloud to her poor liza and more than once had to pause in his reading because of the emotion which overmastered him when they met in society julie and boris exchanged glances to signify that they were the only people in the world capable of understanding and appreciating each other anna mikhailovna who was a frequent visitor at the karagins and always managed to be a partner with julie's mother took especial pains to procure all possible information in regard to julie's fortune which consisted of two estates in the vicinity of penza and forest lands near nizhny novgorod anna mikhailovna with humble dependence on the will of providence and with deep emotion looked upon the etherealized melancholy which served as a bond between her son and the wealthy julie toujours charmante et melancolique cette chère julie she would say to the daughter boris says that here in your house he finds rest for his soul he has suffered the loss of so many illusions and he is so sensitive she would say to the mother ach my dear i cannot tell you how devoted i am to julie of late she would say to her son and who could help loving her she is such a celestial creature ach boris boris she was silent for a minute and how sorry i am for her maman she went on to say to-day she was showing me her accounts and letters from penza where they have colossal estates and it is so trying for her to have no one to help her they cheat her so boris's face wore an almost imperceptible smile as he listened to his mother's words he was quietly amused at her transparent shrewdness but he listened to her and sometimes asked her questions in regard to these frenzensk and nitegorodsky properties julie had for some time been looking for a proposal from her melancholy-souled adorer and she was ready to accept him but some secret antipathy toward her a distaste of her evident desire to get married and of her affections and a feeling of horror at thus practically repudiating the bliss of true love still kept boris at a distance his leave of absence was now drawing to a close he spent long hours and every sunday at the Kerrigans, and every day when he came to think the matter over he would decide that his proposal should take place on the morrow but when he was in julie's company and saw her red face and chin almost always dusted with powder her moist eyes and the expression of her face which seemed ready at a moment's notice to fly from melancholy to the equally natural enthusiasm and rapture of wedded bliss boris could not bring himself to utter the decisive words although in his imagination he had for some time looked upon himself as the prospective master of the kerrigan estates and had many times overspent the income arising therefrom julie noticed boris's infirmity of purpose and it sometimes occurred to her that he had an antipathy for her 
but her feminine vanity quickly restored her confidence and she would assure herself that it was merely his love that made him so bashful her melancholia however was beginning to change into vexation and a short time before the time of boris's departure she was thinking of adopting some decisive plan just before boris's leave of absence drew to a close anatol kuragin made his appearance in moscow and as a matter of course in the kuragin's drawing-room and julie abruptly arousing from her melancholy became very cheerful and manifested great friendliness toward kuragin mon cher said anna mikhailovna to her son i know on good authority that prince vasili has sent his son to moscow to make a match with julie i am so fond of julie that i should be very sorry for her what do you think about it my dear asked anna mikhailovna boris was thoroughly humiliated at the thought of being left out in the cold and of having wasted his whole month in arduous melancholic service of julie and of seeing another man especially such an idiot as anatol having control of that income from the prinzensk estates which he was already in his imagination enjoying and profiting by he went to the kerrigans with a full determination to offer himself julie met him with a gay and careless mien giving him a merry account of what a good time she had enjoyed at the ball the evening before and asked him when he was going back in spite of the fact that boris had come with the intention of confessing his love and had therefore decided to be tenderly sentimental he immediately began in a tone of irritation to complain of women's inconstancy pointing out how easy it was for women to shift from gloom to glee and that their moods depended wholly upon the one who happened to be dancing attendance upon them julie took offence at this and declared that he was right that women needed variety and nothing was more annoying to any one than to have a perpetual sameness then i should advise you began boris with the intention of winging a sharp retort but at that instant came the humiliating thought that he was on the point of leaving moscow without attaining his wished-for end and at the cost of wasted labour a thing to which he was unaccustomed he paused in the middle of his sentence dropped his eyes to avoid seeing the look of disagreeable annoyance and indecision on her face and said however it was not at all for the purpose of quarrelling with you that i came here on the contrary he looked at her to see whether she would encourage him to proceed all expression of annoyance had suddenly vanished and her restless imploring eyes were fixed upon him with greedy expectation i can always manage so as to keep out of her way thought boris here i am for it might as well finish he flushed crimson raised his eyes to hers and said you know my sentiments toward you there was no need of saying more julie's face had become radiant with triumph and satisfaction but she compelled boris to tell her all that was customary to say in such circumstances to tell her that he loved her and that he had never loved any one else so passionately she knew that in exchange for her penzensk estates and nizagorodsky forests she had a right to exact this and she obtained what she wished the young couple with no further thoughts of solitary trees shedding gloom and melancholy laid their plans for the future establishment of a magnificent home in petersburg made calls and got everything ready for a brilliant wedding End of chapter five